Welcome to No Baller. I am Chris Rawl. It is Tuesday, August 10th. On today's show, a discussion of Nathan McKinnon and establishing a winning culture. Before we get there, we will start in the place that we always start. One reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah. Nathan McKinnon is one of the best hockey players on planet Earth. He plays for my favorite team, the Colorado Avalanche. Currently, he is listed as plus 500 to win the Hart Trophy for the most valuable player in hockey in the upcoming season. And I'm all aboard it. And there's one reason and one reason alone. Because in a recent interview that I will discuss more throughout the course of this show, one of his ex-teammates said, Nathan McKinnon, he came in, he established this culture, and he took away all of our treats. He said, no soda for you, no Snicker bars for you, no ice cream for the locker room. We're going to eat healthy. We're going to do it right. And that's how we're going to win, amongst other things. And we have our number one reason why gambling should be legal in the state of Utah, because it will remind you to stop eating so much ice cream. And now a word from our sponsor, Traeger Grills. With your and you always Traeger invented the original wood-fired grill over 30 years ago in Mount Angel, Oregon. They continue to lead the industry as the world's number one selling wood-fired grill, perfected by decades of mastering the craft of wood-fired cooking. You can find out more at TraegerGrills.com. How do you establish a culture that is conducive to winning? This is one of the most important questions in the world of sports and one that has a wide variety of opinions, how you should build out a winning franchise. Uh, And there's a lot of things that tie into building a winning culture, as I love to discuss on this show and as I'm going to do so today. Uh, There's a lot of different opinions on the team building side, just the roster building and the mechanisms that go into that. In football, is it all about getting the quarterback first or is it about getting the lines first? Which of those is more important to have out of the gate? In basketball, you know, is it simply just about the accumulation of star power, get as many stars as possible and go from there? Or does fit actually matter? Is it about getting a star and then piecing a roster around them in a way that is more conducive to their skill set. In hockey, you know, what is more important between power or speed, grit or skill? All of these things are questions that each organization and each fan kind of has different ideas within their head about what is better for their team or teams in general. On the management side, it's kind of simple. It's just don't barf on yourself. You know, don't be a Donald Sterling like he was with the Clippers where he runs him into the ground for three decades and then leaves uh, ashamed and, and looking like a clown. Uh, don't be James Dolan with the Knicks, where he's still in the process of just kind of running a very proud franchise also into the ground and not having a lot of success to show for that. Just act like a normal person and you'll be fine. That's kind of the management side of things, and then you can go from there. On the player side, which is the side that I most want to talk about today, because I think it is the most interesting part of building a winning culture, and it's also the part that it's easiest for me as a fan to comprehend because I watch the game and I can see uh, how a team works together manifested on the screen in front of me. What is the best possible way to lead a team, to contribute to a winning culture, to get the most out of yourself and your teammates? These are kind of the questions that individual players are always asking, and especially the most talented players within an organization or the players that have been deemed to be leaders of the organization. And a lot of times those two things are one and the same. You look towards your most talented players to lead and to establish a culture uh, that is conducive to winning. Now, 
there's no real correct answer here. Part of why I like talking about it, just like the team building side of things, because I think there are a lot of avenues that you can find success. And I have my own opinions on what I think might be a little bit better, a little bit worse, but they're not necessarily correct. It's just how I perceive the building up of a team within the world of sports to work. Um, and elsewhere, I talk to different fans and they have different opinions. And if you went and talked to executives and management and players themselves, they all have different ideas on how to build a culture that's conducive to winning. Now, part of why this is an interesting subject to talk about, because there's the catch-22 of how we apply logic within the world of sports. If you haven't won, then people are going to treat your leadership style or your team-building tactics very differently than if you have. It's why when Tom Brady is screaming at the top of his lungs at his teammates or his offensive coordinator, as he has done in the past with Bill O'Brien when he was on New England, it's talked about in glowing terms. Oh, look at the leadership. This is how he wins. This is the competitive fire, that kind of stuff. And then we see Philip Rivers do it. And we say, well, that guy's just a crybaby and a whiner because he's never won a Super Bowl. And why is he chewing out his offensive line for not blocking? Why is he chewing out his offensive coordinator for calling the wrong play? We kind of look at the same situation and we apply different logic. Just like when Bill Belichick drafts a first-round quarterback, or a first-round running back, rather, sorry, we kind of turn the other cheek. We go, oh, yeah, that's probably not the best way to build a roster, but whatever, it's Bill Belichick. And then Dave Gettleman steps up and does it with the Giants, and we piss all over him because Dave Gettleman doesn't have the track record of success that Bill Belichick does. A lot of the way that we apply logic within this area, especially from this building a winning culture perspective, it's retroactive. It's informed by winning or losing after the fact. If you've won, you have a winning culture, and now we can look back and realize, oh, that the, the foundational principles were already in place because now we know that you've won, but it's a lot harder to recognize or acknowledge if the rings don't exist, as is the case with a lot of teams. That's why you look at Phil Rivers and you say, oh, well, this guy, he's just, he just seems like he's whiny. And as soon as Phil, if Phil Rivers were to win a Super Bowl, which he now won't because he's retired, but if that were to happen, we would kind of retroactively place that stamp on him. Oh, well, yeah, he's a great leader because he always demanded the best from his teammates and he held them accountable if they made mistakes, just like he did for himself. Uh, it's kind of an interesting part of this culture building discussion and an interesting part of winning and losing in general, part of the like core principle of this show and why I'm talking about it so much. Retroactively, we acknowledge it. In the moment, we use very different logic for stuff that I think is kind of plain. So the question of today's show, one that I find to be uh, pretty nuanced, and again, I don't think there's necessarily right or wrong to this, but can a team that has not won a championship have a winning culture? I'm in the camp that says yes. Uh, I think probably more people than not would say no. Um, you just kind of have to win, and then we can retroactively say that you have a winning culture. But until that happens, nope. It's easy. It's cut and dry. So we're going to segue into a discussion of one of my favorite hockey players that has ever existed and my favorite team, Nathan McKinnon and the Colorado Avalanche, who are in the process of this culture establishing period. And they have not won any Stanley Cups. And this is part of why I think it's really interesting to discuss these ideas within the framework of this particular player and this particular team. Um, Nathan McKinnon enters the league in the 2013-14 NHL season. 
Up until that point, the Avalanche have missed the playoffs for the three years prior and five of the last seven years prior. That comes on the heels of a long, extended string of winning. 11 straight playoff seasons, two Stanley Cups. Um, They had a culture there that was built around a lot of talent and a smart general manager in Pierre Lacroix. They had Joe Sackick. They had Peter Forsberg and Patrick Waugh and Adam Foote and Rob Blake and Ray Bork and go down the list of all these great players that played for that organization during this time. And they'd kind of fallen on harder times, part of why they were able to draft Nathan McKinnon number one overall. So he comes in that season. And alongside him, Patrick Waugh, the former goaltender, one of the greatest of all times, he comes in as the Avalanche coach. And together, there's this out-of-the-blue winning season for Colorado. 112-point regular season, their first in their division. Nobody expects it. Nobody sees it coming, me least of all. The Avs are playing all these crazy games. They're scoring, but their goalie pulled. Uh, and they go into the playoffs. It's this just really cool emotional ride for me as a fan because I hadn't been able to watch the Avalanche win a lot in the recent past, and I also hadn't watched them in the playoffs. McKinnon plays all 82 games that regular season, finishes with 63 points. The future is incredibly bright for him in that moment. I'm super fired up because I go, now we have a foundational piece. We have the cornerstone center, and that's something that we can build around. So they play the Wild in the playoffs, 2014, round one. Crazy back and forth series. Everything under the sun happened within it. And McKinnon is doing stuff on the ice that, again, it's getting me fired up for the future because he has the primary assist on a Paul Stastny overtime winner in game one. He scores an overtime winner himself in game five. The Avalanche go to game seven of that series. They're up by a goal with three minutes left. They give one up. Nino Niederreiter scores an overtime for the Wild in game seven. Total heartbreaker. Avalanche are out of the playoffs. But I'm optimistic because I think, all right, we got the foundational piece with McKinnon, number one center. That's what every team needs. And now Patrick Waugh's here. And a lot of people, myself included at the time, think that a culture is being established with him as coach. Uh, And that really turns out to not be the case because he flames out quickly. He's gone after three seasons, and the abs fall back in this rut of losing. And McKinnon kind of regresses from where he was his rookie season. So by the time we get to his fourth year, McKinnon, he still is playing 82 games, but he has 53 points, less than he did in his rookie season, and now we're his fourth year in the league. And the Avalanche are the worst team in hockey in 2017, 22, 56, and 4. So at that moment... Um, I'm still watching because I'm a big Avalanche fan and I like following my team, but it's also grim as hell on the fan side because there's nothing there. Uh, Even with McKinnon, I go, I don't know. Like I've seen glimmers and flashes from this guy that are otherworldly and the talent is there, but for whatever reason, things aren't clicking. And more worrisome, there just doesn't seem to be any culture in place for this franchise or knowledge of how you win as a franchise, how you build a team out, how you coach that team. And then once you have talent in place, how that talent holds itself accountable uh, on a peer-to-peer kind of level for mistakes and getting better and all that kind of stuff. Now, we start to see the foundation really being laid in 2018, which is the true Nathan McKinnon leap on ice. Um, He has 97 points in 74 games that year. He's the runner-up to Taylor Hall for the Hart Trophy, MVP of hockey. Uh, From this point into present day, McKinnon is just a super-duper-duper star. 
one of the very best players in the world, and everybody acknowledges him as such. He breaks through that wall and just hasn't really looked back. Now, alongside this, when it comes to building a culture, you have really noticeable efforts on the team building side that start that year, but have really come to light over the next few years, including up into present day. And they start with general manager Joe Sackick, a guy who is very, very familiar with winning culture in his own right. He was the captain of those avalanche teams that won the Stanley Cup in 96 and in 2001 and had this extended decade-plus really incredible run as a very successful organization and franchise. And also a dude who really understands what it means to be super talented on ice and how you can lead when you're in that position. Joe Sackick, he was the captain of the team. Uh, A lot of people, they call him Quiet Joe. That was his nickname. He he went about his business. He led by example. He wasn't going to go and scream and shout and holler and all that kind of stuff. He went about his business in that specific way. And that worked for Joe Sackick, and that worked for that team. Uh, And it's also very interesting to know in light of McKinnon and the way that he is kind of turning into a tone setter and a culture builder for this current Avalanche team. So there's only four regulars left on the Avalanche roster in 2021 that were there on that 2017 dumpster fire of a team. It's the entire top line. Nathan McKinnon, Gabe Landeskog, and Miko Rantanen. All three phenomenal NHL players in their own right. And Eric Johnson. Four players left. Uh, Joe Sackick on the management side, he's flushed out the roster with a lot of talent through the draft, through trades, through free agency. And you look down the Avalanche roster right now and you go, that's a team that's built to win the Stanley Cup. Kel McCarr, Devontae, Sam Gerrard, Darcy Kemper, Andre Burakovsky, Nazem Kadri, JT Comfort. Go down the list of a lot of these depth pieces or stars in their own right when you look at the top of that list and you say, all right, the talent is in place. Seems like Joe Sackick knows what he is doing when it comes to putting a team on the ice that is capable of winning and capable of winning Stanley Cup. Everybody around the league, they agree that this team has one of, if not the brightest futures in hockey. They've also lost in the second round of the playoffs the last three years. So now we kind of we kind of arrive at the crux of the question I mentioned prior. Is a winning culture already there, but hasn't been manifested, or do things need to change? This is kind of the question that teams in Colorado's position are always asking themselves, and one that is always a really interesting crossroads-style moment. Uh, okay, we have a talented team in place, but do we need to make tweaks to it? Do we need to change the vision somewhat? What do we do here? Uh, Toronto Maple Leafs, they're a good example within the National Hockey League that are kind of going through a similar place. Where they go, can we really dedicate this much cap space to Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner and John Tavares? we got a lot of talent on this roster. We've kind of been unlucky. We also flamed out in the first round. We keep having these crazy playoff losses. What do we do here? These are the questions that teams in that stratosphere are always asking themselves. So I'm of the belief that, yes, there is definitely something there. And you don't need to change anything. You keep rolling it out and trust that sooner or later, the bounces and the luck of hockey are going to break our way. So now we circle back to Nathan McKinnon, the best player on the roster, uh, the second best player in the world behind Connor McDavid, and the person who kind of represents this tone setter. Uh, Usually your best player sets the tone. That's how it works in sports. 
you are the most talented player on your team. People look to you because you are the most talented player. Now, Landis Cog, he's the captain of the Avalanche in every sense of the word, and he should be. But McKinnon, as the most talented player on the roster, he also carries a weight and a kind of responsibility for setting the tone for his team and also establishing this culture that's conducive to winning. So I want to talk about this today because one of McKinnon's ex-teammates, Nikita Zadorov, played defense for Colorado. He got traded last year, played for Chicago. He went on a Russian radio station, and he had a wide-ranging interview about who knows what. But the most interesting section is when he was asked about Nathan McKinnon and who he is and what he expects from his teammates and what he has been doing kind of within the Colorado organization to try and turn this franchise from where it was in 2017 into where it is in present day, which is a team with Stanley Cup aspirations. And it's turned into a matter of great interest and debate within the hockey world and within the culture building world for reasons that you're going to see. So I'm going to read, it's a long excerpt about Nathan McKinnon. And again, this is coming from his ex-teammate, Nikita Zurov, who played with him in Colorado. And I'm going to read this entire excerpt because I think it's very interesting and it sets the table for further discussion about this subject. So here's Zadorov. I saw the progression in Nate's game. He is such a pro. He has a dietologist he pays $50,000 a year. He has a live-in doctor slash physiotherapist in his house during the season. He pays him $1,000 each day. In addition, he rents him an apartment. He has his own chef, who he pays another one hundred grand a year. He simply invests in himself and his own body so he can play at the highest level. He's crazy that way. He eats right. He doesn't drink. He drinks only water. Two years ago in Colorado, he got rid of all the pop slash ice cream slash desserts. He got rid of them from the dressing room and pregame meals. He even got rid of white sauce, carbonara, for pasta. He replaced the actual pasta itself with chickpea pasta that has more protein and so on. He made pros out of our entire Colorado team. That's one of the reasons that Colorado got such an improvement in performance over the last couple of years. He says, guys, if you want to eat that crap, you have the offseason for that. When you come here, there will be none of that because we're winning the cup. All the young guys see it, look up to him, and try to do their part. Nate is like MJ. I don't want to make a direct comparison, but his way of thinking is very similar to Michael Jordan. He can be a jerk to his teammates and line mates. You need to accept that, and it would improve you as a hockey player as a result. If you can't accept it, well, you're off the team. He is always the hardest working guy. He comes out 30 minutes before practice constantly working on his hands. Young guys see that he's the best player in the NHL and he still works to improve. It motivates them to work even harder. If you miss a pass in practice, he would skate over and literally scream at you. You can't pass in the puck without hitting his stick. We had young players come over during the playoffs. If the puck ends up in his skates, not even his skates, if it misses his stick by a tiny bit, like 15 centimeters in front of the blade of his stick, he doesn't move his stick to catch the puck. He stops everything turns around, and slaps the puck back at you. He is not going to try to receive any puck he doesn't like during practice, just to show you that you made a shitty pass. He is a guy that demands that everyone leaves everything out there to maximize their abilities. End quote. So obviously, a ton, ton, ton to unpack there when it comes to McKinnon as a culture builder. And also... That last line, which is probably the most fascinating part of it, uh, the guy that demands everyone leave everything out there 
who maximize their abilities. So this goes into the, the philosophical side of this and a lot of the things I was mentioning at the top of the show. What is the best possible way to arrive at that point where you have somebody who is saying, all right, everybody in this entire organization is leaving everything on the ice every single time they step out there. Uh, and every single person is going to maximize whatever amount of talent they have within their body. What is the best possible way to arrive at that point? And is there such a thing as a correct way, and I say that in air quotes, to build a winning culture? Again, it's kind of a philosophical question and one on either side that I don't think has a correct answer or maybe even necessarily one that is better than another. You hear Zadorov mention Michael Jordan, who is the all-time example of a demanding teammate that bred winning. And Jordan never cared about people painting him as an asshole or actually just acting like an asshole. Uh, He didn't care that stuff was going on in practice. uh, And he would look at you and say, if I don't like that, you know, I'll punch you in the head. Just ask Steve Kerr about that. His entire persona was also a lot like McKinnon's. Um, Because I expect perfection from myself, I expect it from my teammates. Which is also kind of interesting and makes you a little bit uncomfortable because you look at somebody like Jordan, who is one of the most gifted basketball players ever, and you go, well, what you expect from yourself can't possibly be the same as others because you have more basketball talent than those others. And you look at McKinnon, who is one of the most talented hockey players on planet Earth, and you say, how realistic is it to expect that level of perfection from those around you when they don't have the same talent as you? Now... Where this is interesting and where I think there's a lot more uh, area of examination available within it, I think back to watching The Last Dance with Michael Jordan, the big documentary about him, and there's a section of an interview within that where he's talking about this specific thing and how a lot of people thought he was an asshole to his teammates. And in actuality, you know, I'm paraphrasing. But Jordan has this line that was essentially, I never asked anyone to do something that I didn't expect from myself. Uh, And when you hear it put that way, and when you think about it in those terms, you come off as much less of an asshole. And when you hear that interview from Zadorov about McKinnon, and you go, he's there 30 minutes before practice, and he's working constantly. And me being an Avalanche fan, like I've read stories about McKinnon well before this particular interview about his work ethic, about what he does in the offseason about what he does during the season, and just this insane, almost sociopathic behavior to get better, whether that's sitting there and stick handling for who knows how long every single day or shooting pucks over and over and over, going out and practicing skating drills, all that kind of stuff. MJ and McKinnon, they're kind of cut from a similar cloth. That's the mold of leadership and culture building that they both bring to the table. Now, we acknowledge it with MJ and just say, this was the way he did it. And the proof is in the pudding. He won six NBA championships and he's acknowledged as one of the greatest winners of all time. And in turn, because of that, the way that he set the tone, the way that he helped establish a winning culture, we acknowledge that is the correct way to do that for that particular team, those Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. Now, it's a lot more controversial in context of McKinnon when it's displayed by a player who has not won a championship. Now, I step in as an Avalanche fan and as a 
really huge fan of McKinnon, and I kind of argue, well, you know, his talent speaks for itself. And his drive to win, which has also been categorized before this interview, it speaks for itself. The dude has 69 points in 50 career playoff games. Well over a point per game within the playoffs, where it's very hard to even come close to getting that. I actually watched game six of the Avalanche Vegas Golden Knights second round playoff series two nights ago. And I was just kind of struck again by McKinnon. McKinnon didn't have a great series. He had an awesome game one. He struggled through the middle four games of that series. And in game six, he was just there for it. And he took a lot of criticism coming out of that series because the Avalanche lost. And he is one of the tone setters. And he is one of the people responsible for establishing a winning culture, which again has only resulted in the Avalanche losing in the second round for the last three years. At the same time, I watch him playing that game two nights ago. And I'm just like... Give me that guy any day of the week and twice on Sunday. He's just always there for it. The speed, the skill, the power, all that's on display. But you also get a sense every time you watch Nathan McKinnon that that dude is trying his absolute best to win and he's demanding that from those around him. Yeah, and it hasn't manifested itself in a Stanley Cup yet. Um, I want to read something that was written after this Game 6 loss that I'm mentioning to Vegas comes from Peter Baugh of The Athletic, and it's about, obviously, McKinnon and the Avalanche. The Avalanche had a team with the talent to hoist the Stanley Cup, and the forward knew the opportunity he and his teammates missed. I'm going into my ninth year next year, and I haven't won shit, Nathan McKinnon said after the 6-3 loss. I'm definitely motivated, and it just sucks losing four in a row to a good team. It felt like last year was our first real chance to win. This year, I thought we were the best team in the league. For whatever reason... We couldn't get it together, end quote. That, for whatever reason, stands out to somebody like me. Because the, for whatever reason, it's symbolic of what I always see within sports and definitely what I always see when it comes to winning and losing within a playoff setting. It's all the luck, it's all the suspensions, it's all of the puck bounces, you name it. Go down the list of all these things that are pretty uncontrollable that affect the outcome of a game in a series. And I hear the for whatever reason from McKinnon's mouth. And I go, yeah, last year or two year, two seasons ago, the Avs, they have a team that I thought was built to win the cup. And then they're just getting injured left and right. And they end up playing game seven against Dallas in their second round series with Michael Hutchinson, their third string goaltender in net. And Gabe Landeskog, one of their most integral pieces on forward unit. He's not playing in that game. Part of the game of hockey, everybody goes through injuries. Uh, that's just the way of the world within this sport that's so physical and has just so many opportunities to get injured. But it's part of this for whatever reason that McKinnon's talking about. Sometimes you don't win and a lot of stuff you can't control. Last year, you know, well, it would have been great to have Nazem Kadri playing in that Vegas series, their second line center, but he was suspended for the entire duration of it because he threw another one of his dumbass hits that he's thrown in past playoffs, and he hit Justin Falk in the head in the St. Louis series, and now he's suspended, and the Avs don't have a huge piece of their forward unit throughout the entire series that would have been very helpful. And even with all that, there's just random chance and luck that is involved with hockey, and the Avs are up 2-0 in the series, and they're up by a goal in a third period of Game 3, looking to take a 3-0 series lead. They blow that, and then they're up 2-0 in the third period of game five in a 2-2 series and they blow that lead and then they're losing in game six. Go down the list of all these things. If you're the avalanche, and and this is my opinion, but I also think their organization and Sackett 
are kind of uh, they're coming to the table with a similar mindset, you just keep running this back because you have established what I believe is a team capable of winning the Stanley Cup and you trust in that vision. Just like the Tampa Bay Lightning did when they were going through these hurdles and losses and hurdles and losses for five years before breaking through and winning that cup uh, two years ago. And now they're back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. You're the avalanche. And if you're Nathan McKinnon, you look at yourself and you go, okay, we have in place a team that can win a championship. If you're Nathan McKinnon, you're on the short list of the most talented players that I personally have ever watched. You have that speed, that power, that skill, all in vast quantities and all in an incredibly rare combination for a hockey player. And his play speaks for itself. And so now you move to the next question. Is McKinnon laying the foundation for a winning culture in Colorado? I obviously believe this to be true because I followed his career and this team very, very, very closely. And especially over the last four years, I've seen a team kind of rise out of the rubble of that season into what it is in present day. Yeah, they've lost in three straight playoffs in the second round. But I think what is there is a team that is capable of winning the Stanley Cup. So then you move to the next question and one that is pretty much unanswerable on the philosophical side. Is this the best way to build a winning culture? When it comes to the team building side, the management side, and obviously the best player side, uh, the tone setter side, and Nathan McKinnon as that specific individual. If the Avs win three Stanley Cups in the next five years or eight years, you know, we'll say, yes, this is the way, just like we did with MJ. And if they don't win any, we're going to say no. This hampered and hindered their ability to do that. Um, and such is the way of the world when it comes to establishing a winning culture. Sooner or later, you have to win. Thank you for listening to No Baller. This show is produced by Weston Tanner and can be consumed in a variety of ways. You can download it as a podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or the platform of your choice. You can also view it in video form via the Beehive TV app, which can be downloaded on Apple, Google, Roku, and Amazon Fire. For more information, go to noballer.com.